Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. This is a Piccolo Podcast production. There they are. Welcome, everybody, to Cricket Unfiltered. We are live on YouTube and, of course, recording for the podcast. I'm your host, Menes. Um, I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? Hey, Menes. Hey, everyone. Great to be here. Yeah, usual shenanigans. You unplugged your microphone just as we were supposed to go live. Um, you thought I couldn't hear the disparaging tone in your voice that you were talking about it. Um, you're very, always very tolerant of technical issues, Menes. Thank you for that. <laughs> and, of course, joining us, uh, Gav Joshi, who's about to jet off to, de- jet off to Delhi for the second test and the launch of his book. Gav, how are you? I'm good, Menes. You're looking forward to the second test. Hopefully it's a closer contest than the first one. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, I hope you get a bit. We get a bit more than three days as well. Um, so, so we have a lot to cover in this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. We have the second Test preview. We have to talk about the Women's Premier League auction, which uh, made history last night. And then we've got to touch on the World, uh, the T20 World Cup, and then we'll wrap it up with Can't Let It Go. So packed episode. Um, let's get straight into the preview of the second test. Uh, controversy as soon as the first test ended with ca- claims and counterclaims that Australia requested uh, to train on the Nagpur wickets and then they turned up on the scheduled fourth day and they'd been watered. Now, uh, the Australians are claiming they requested it. India is saying it wasn't requested soon enough. Um, but uh, already, um, little niggles already in the, we're only in the first test. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm interested on um, where you think of this Australian reports, and the Australian reporters seem to be fairly credible, credible, uh, credible ones. That it was a, a request that was acceded to, and then they said yes, and then they watered the pitch, and then they're sort of saying, "Oh well, you know, there's a bit of miscommunication." If it is as the Australian reporters are laying it out, then I think that is a bit disappointing. I mean, fair enough, say no, but if you say yes and then water the pitch, that seems far from ideal. And I've been a little bit surprised at the the Indian response on on social media. I saw Ian Healy, you know, in his local um, Brisbane radio show, was having a go at them um, at, at the BCCI for it, and accounts on Twitter who I didn't think were kind of this way in climate, say, oh, whinging and all this. To me, it just seems legitimate criticism unless what the um the indians are saying is true and that the you know that it wasn't as clear-cut as that but where, where do you think the facts lie go well the facts lie in the fact that <laughs> india is not is not as doesn't operate as procedurally as australia and that's not by no means having a go in india it's a different culture um so there has to be a lot of sort of bureaucracy there's lots of loopholes to go through as well one thing i just want to tell people is, you know, people talk about pitch doctoring and stuff. In Australia, and as we talked about this while on commentary uh, the other day, that the Australian curators are not employed by Cricket Australia or Cricket New South Wales or the state governing body. They are by, as if you clarify, the SCG is with the sports stadiums. Um, yeah, I think it's um, Venues New South Wales. Venue, venues New South Wales. The MCG is not by Cricket Victoria. So let's forget that the fact that you know, people are talking about having this debate that, oh, the pitch has been doctored and so forth like that. In a way, it, it, the the curators in Australia have got no obligation to, uh, you know, prepare wickets for Cricket Australia because they're, they're not their employees. Uh, while BCCI, the curators, directly work for the state cricket board, which hence get their money from the BCCI. So let's just clear that out. I think people are getting a little bit confused and there's been a bit of debate. So I just want to put out there. Uh, the other thing... So, so, what, so Gav, sorry, so, so you're saying the wickets are doctored then because they're employed by the BCCI, <laughs> they, they have to fall into line. Well, I, I, I'm saying that the Australian curators are in no um, under no obligation to do it because we they get, don't... We get, we get it good here, the fact that our curators are completely neutral, but this happens more more often around the world. No, yes. point, but because... And I was going to talk about this at the end of the show in, in Can't Let It Go, but since, since it's been brought up, we on this show have criticised Cricket Australia a billion times and we'll continue to do so. We're, we're not kind of puppets for Cricket Australia, although if they want to pay us money, we will, we will, become, we will become so. But um, I think it's true to say that, by and large, Australian pitchers are prepared in the sort of Ian Chappell spirit of let the grounds person or the curator prepare the best wicket that they can for um, the conditions that prevail, not to advantage the home team. The home advantage is because you're playing in conditions that you've grown up with. And, you know, yes, it's yeah. going to be fast and bouncy at the Gabba and the Wacker, but that's because those are the natural local conditions. And, yes, it Correct. advantages Australia because that's what they're used to playing on. And so the fact that um, – I, I thought I was a little bit disappointed with, say, Sonny Gavaskar citing the poor Gabba pitch from a couple of months ago as a reason that Australians can't um, – dispute the way that the Nagpur pitch was prepared. That pitch was a poor, was a below average pitch, but it was because the groundsman for, for once kind of got it wrong with the weather, the, the difficulties. It wasn't because Cricket Australia had said to him, do this or do that. He just produced a poor wicket. And I think there's a there's a difference now. It's a philosophical difference that some people would say, well, what I have said is how the pitcher should be prepared is ridiculously naive. And then it should be, yeah, the home ground, do whatever the hell you want. I don't agree with that, but I respect that position. I, I completely understand that position. 
it's kind of touching on your point though, Gab, that, that we are coming at it from two different angles, I think. And your point around the um, the who employs the ground staff is a good one. Yeah, and, and so going back to your, there was, you know, there has to go through a lot of hoops. There could be miscommunication. What I was told uh, from the, you know, people out there was a request did come at the end of the game. Um, by the time the communication was fed through through different hierarchies, the water, the curator had gone. The best time to water the ground is sort of overnight, and he'd gone and overnight. And he, he, now, look. I look at it into two ways. There's a breakdown communication. Also, 2013, when I was there in Chennai, of course, the game finished in the afternoon as well. And at that time, Mickey Arthur, Michael Clark, and everyone, the minute the game finished, after the post-match presentation, got their team out and started practicing on those worn wickets. So <laughs> there's a chance that Andrew McDonald and, and co could have just done that the same day, and then we wouldn't even get to this. Um, but yes, I, I agree. I think there's just, just the way the protocols operate in India, and we've seen it. It works towards, uh, it favours some. India can change a location of a one day at the night before and still manage efficiently the day, the day you know, next day. I don't think Cricket Australia can do that. That's purely because the manpower, just the logistics, the money and people involved. So there's, I think it's just a clash of cultures. And here, I think there's been a breakdown of communication somewhere rather than pointing fingers to each other. Yeah, I, look, I don't know what happened and I don't want to spend too much longer on this, but uh, I mean, India's not going to say if they did it. I mean, the, the grounds were saying they weren't told. I mean, if, if you're going to pull a Swifty on the Aussies, you're not going to say, oh, yeah, of course we did it to piss them off. So anyway, it's not a big deal. The Aussies got to train on day five. Um, and so, you know, all's well as it ends well. I'm pretty... Just one sorry, last I'm, thing on that. Yeah, I agree with you. It's not a big deal. And again... People on social media saying, oh, the Aussies think one training session on a day four pitch is going to make all the difference. Of course they don't. It's just a it's a legitimate discussion. Um, of course, on the evidence of the first test match, India were miles better and they could have played it on the moon and India would have won. Um, something, something funny is happening with your mic, Paul. You might just want to play. It's sort of coming in and out. Um, but um, with the... Um, with the, that, though, Australia would never do that to a touring side. That's the only thing I would say is I, I don't think we would ever, if, if you know, put, do that. Let, let's, another fact also, Menas, that people are not aware of in Australia is, uh, and it's a little bit like that in England as well. Uh, now, uh, Nakul does have wickets up the back uh, outside the stadium. In Australia, you don't do practice sessions inside the ground in the centre wicket. We've got dedicated nets at the SCG, well, WACA, the MCG. In India, generally the practice sessions happen in majority of the grounds are actually adjacent to the, the pitch um, where they play on. So they're two different things. The Indian curators will say we have to manage the square. We've got other matches coming up. Australia don't have the, have the luxury of basically having nets at the back. So I'm just pointing out a couple of differences that people should be aware of before you know they start pointing fingers at each other. Hey, Ben, is, is my microphone any, any good now? Is it still coming in or yeah, not? Yeah, that, that's better. Yeah, I'll let you know. I, I won't, out again. Thank you. One thing, I mean, Australia's not completely innocent that we produced that horrific wicket for New Zealand a few years ago when there was that um, 500 run partnership. Uh, that was a pretty poor thing. I, I know a few times where Australia has produced substandard teams to play the overseas teams, you know, produce pretty low standard quality teams. So we haven't been perfect in what we've done either. No. Um, all right, other news. Um, so Matt Kuhneman, the Queensland left-arm spinner, is heading over to join the Australian squad and Mitchell Swepson is coming home 
because of the birth of his child. Now, I was at the um, recent Big Bash game between the Sixers and the Heat, and I saw Kuhneman bowling, and I did think straight away that his type of sort of quickish left arm spin could be effective on Indian wickets. And we saw him play some one-day international cricket for Australia last year in uh, in Sri Lanka. So I'm very surprised he wasn't actually in the original squad. As I said, that I think they should have taken, you know, five, six spinners over at the beginning and just saw, seen who went well. But I think Kuhneman uh, could do well. What do you think, Paul? I think your point is very well made that we should have taken more people over there um, in the original squad. Um, and we'll come to preparation as well. But part of the whole... Um, is my microphone okay? Yeah, yeah, sort of. <laughs> Look, what do you think uh, of Juniman? Well, I mean, there's two ways. I've always maintained that when we talked about preparation and we'll come back to it, why not take a big squad of 30 players? Like when India went down here, I know it was COVID and they had no obligations and uh, had no choice really, but to bring a squad of, I think I had a squad of 40 down here. Um, during the start of the Ashes in 2019, Justin Langer had that Australia, uh, you know, the Australian squad match, which was 11 against 11 at 22 players go against each other, plus a few subs as well. So why wouldn't you bring them in? Um, in terms of Kuhneman, uh, the Shield game about maybe two months ago, he was working hard a lot about uh, undercutting the ball. And, and Stephen O'Keefe was there, Manus Labashan was there. And he was really, I won't say he was struggling, but he didn't know how to undercut the ball so much. So uh, that's something he was getting used to. Uh, so, But to fly him straight over there tells me two things. Australia want to face more left arm spin. In saying that, there's a lot of net bowlers in India, Menace. You, you just have to go to India once to realise whether you're covering the IPL or covering a test series, India will provide hundreds and hundreds of net bowlers who are left-arm spinners. There's every kid on the block bowls left-arm spin in India. So why is he going? Is he genuinely a chance to play? Um, the, well, they feel, I mean, the word out of the camp is they feel that Agar hasn't bowled well. That's why he was left out. But or is Kuhneman just bowling, going out there to sort of replicate Aksha Patel and Jadeja, if he I is? He, yeah. Well, if, if he is, he's not that style of bowler, from what I know. So, and again, like I mentioned, India's got thousands of left-arm spinners who bowl to, uh, you know, in the nets. So, I, I, I find it interesting, unless they, they just want to play him. Not a fan. I like it. I think... Well, no, I, 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 I think he's I a very good bowler. I think yeah. he gives it a real rip, but... yeah. From what I saw two months ago, and, you know, he could have evolved his game, but it's hard to see when, given the big bash was on, that Stephen O'Keefe was having a good long chat with him, as was Manus, trying to get his wrist position to go to undercut the ball, which is what Jadeja and Axel Patel do. Uh, does this sound better, Manus? I've, I've abandoned yeah. it. Is that okay? Yeah, no, that sounds yeah. better. I mean, I suppose they technically say they've brought him in as cover for Swepson because he's gone back for the birth of his child. So that's their um, official line. But I agree, why not bring him over early on? And we'll, we'll talk about the preparation, but the fact of the matter is that by playing in the Big Bash, which was the right thing to do as far as that tournament was concerned, and it made a great impact, especially Steve Smith on the Big Bash, it's not the right preparation for a tour of India. I have tremendous sympathy for all cricket schedulers because the schedule is such a nightmare, but it really should have been that after the Sydney Test match, those players who are going to go to India should have had two weeks off 
then a proper preparation uh, in the centre of excellence in Dubai or in, in warm-up games in India, whatever the case may be. And I think part of the reason for that preparation is not just to get the players acclimatised, but it gives it a much better guide for selection as well. You know, um, if you have in that period of time Kuhneman over there and everyone's saying, wow, he's bowling fantastically in these bespoke conditions that we have created to replicate India, let's get him into the side. If he's bowling rubbish, well, you don't pick him. Uh, and the same with the batters. If um, if David Warner went over there and couldn't lay a bat on the ball for, for two weeks, you've got that extra bit of information as well. So I, I think that Cricket Australia need to really do something about this going forward. I know the scheduling is very difficult, but you just can't have it like this going ever again, I think, when we're touring India. Uh, but Paul, do you recall 2017? And I recall going to the camp in Dubai, and I was in Dubai for five days watching them train, and they, the team had arrived sort of five, six days before that. And I, and I remember they were playing a series in New Zealand at the time, and people like Kawaja were pulled out of that series to go over and, and, and play and practice in Dubai. Now, leading up to that series, and, and remember the plastic chairs were put out, of course, the short leg fielders and so forth, um, you know, batters putting just one pad on um, or removing the, you know, the front pad to ensure they didn't get hit in line, all these drills. They might have done this in camp from whatever, you know, some of the reporters are saying i haven't seen some of the listening to michael clark the other day uh, on on radio he said one of the first thing is get your pad out of the way he said and michael clark i remember recalling um so many of those series in pakistan uh, against pakistan dubai he would bat without the front pad so get it out of the way uh, and it seems like in australia's made the same mistake so it was such a um important rigorous sort of training session and i think nathan lyon might have bowled Close to a thousand balls. I'm not sure how many he's bowled this uh, leading into test series, but that's as good as preparation as I've ever seen Australia prepare. And what well, we saw, they nearly pulled off a test victory. Well, they, they probably should have won the series. And I, I think that that side is not as good as this side. Yet, so far, the performances of that side were, were vastly better. It does come to their other point that they don't want to have fatigue. Now, I don't really cop that. I just think that. Um, they're saying, oh, towards the end of the Sri Lankan tour, the, we, our performance dipped and that's a sign of fatigue. It's almost like they've manufactured that to cover for the fact that they just weren't going to get any preparation. They might say that Nathan Lyon, actually, he did that have, have that finger injury towards the end of that 2017 tour. Maybe he bowled a little bit too much in the, in the, in the preparation. But I, I, I think that that's what they needed to do. Um, whether it's in tour matches or in Dubai or somewhere else, they needed more preparation. Well, it certainly hasn't helped. Look, there's no way they could have done that, though. I think they had to prioritise the health of the Big Bash. It's it's too important to the overall health of Australian cricket and and much more important than losing a series away that no one here really cares about. Like, you know, everyone's turning on to AFL and footy now. So, um, you know, that's but... I see. You can see the difference, though. They go in twenty-seven, all tuned up, and they're much more competitive from the get-go. The one thing I will say, though, is the Indian side wouldn't do that. I mean, th- they fly the Indian team around like they finish one game, they're on a plane. Like they would never give them two weeks preparation in a camp coming to Australia. So um, it, it, I think the you know the way cricket's going, that'll never happen again. Which the way we're looking, that means we might never win in India well, again. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I think Sonny Gavaskar made a very valid point. He said sometimes facing fast bowlers in Australia and South Africa um, on hard, bouncy conditions, it's a matter of courage more so than technique at times. While against spin, it's not a test of courage, it's a test of skill. So you have to advance your game. And I thought it was a very valid point. And just watching these Australian batsmen, some of them, I think they're still confused. Uh, Marnus Labuschagne played a lot back uh, in the first innings when the pitch was good, but I just got the feeling it was, you know, one was going to spin past the outside edge and he was going to get stuck on the crease. I think the big scars, I think Steve Smith had, and uh, yes, it was the no ball at the end of the test match, but getting bowled twice by Jadeja, um, I think that's going to put a bit few doubts into Steve Smith's mind. Uh, Alex Carey was when Warner was facing Ashwin in the second innings. It's like every ball that he survived. Like I can't believe he survives. And it's what <laughs> I've always seen in us going. It's like all this effort with all this talk, and yet we are the same uh, inept situation in those difficult conditions that we've always been. I mean, maybe. You know, maybe we've got to stop picking left-handers in India almost altogether. Yeah, now I want to talk a bit about selection for the second test. So, look, one thing that George Bailey did say uh, before this series is that there is a gap between the second and third tests, and they could make major changes if they need to. So they could bring players over from Australia even more than Kuhneman. But but with the, the next test... I think Australia are going to radically change their team because it is do or die. If they lose, then the Border Gavaskar trophy is gone again. So they have to win. If, if Green and Stark come back, then I've already heard McDonald roll out the line. Well, it completely changes our approach. So they can sort of start again and, and not wor- worry about sort of the selections they made in the first test. Um, he, he was asked about Travis Head. And he um, he said that the reason they Andrew McDonald said this that the reason they didn't pick him was they valued other players' skill sets over his, and he, they said that might change. But you know that that's very sort of hocus pocus stuff to me, and uh, I, I think that's the glaring mistake from the first test. But they valued other players' skill sets over his. That's like saying, why did you win the soccer? Because we scored more goals than them. It's like. What else, why else would you pick someone? That's a weird thing right. to say. I know. And, and uh, I just hope Head can turn around um, because, you know, I've seen a lot of good players like Ponting and all that start in the um, subcontinent really average and then um, then turn around. So I, I guess one position that's really coming under scrutiny is David Warner. I mean, can you see a situation, Paul, where he's dropped for the next test? I can. I still don't think they will. But he did look bereft in the second innings. And, you know, that's saying something because the first innings he got knocked over very, very quickly as well. I just find it funny that they are talking about bringing Head in as an opener. And I've, you know, I put it in the notes, but there's this, it's by my rule of um, the selectors when they talk about openers, that it's um, an opener is a specialist position. You must never consider someone for opener unless they are a specialist opener, punishable by death. But part two is... The only thing you need to do to be considered a specialist opener is either you or someone else declared that you are now an opener. So they've just said, oh, well, um, Head can, can open, therefore he can open. Yet before that, they would have never considered him as an opening batter. I know you don't like me going on about batting orders, but I think it's a little bit strange, especially given that the idea is if he opens, then he won't have to face much spin. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> they already opened the second innings with Ashwin. Even in the first innings, the spinners are on pretty quickly. I think if Travis Head comes out to bat uh, an opening, uh, they'll definitely open with the spinners. Having said that, I, I think he should be back in the side. Gav, do you think Warner should be dropped? 
He won't be dropped. Uh, whether he should be dropped, it's <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, I think he'll get another go. Uh, I don't see radical changes. I think Stark will come back for Boland uh, and Head will come back in for Renshaw. Uh, is the only change. So Australia will have plenty of left-handers. What about Green though? What if Green's fit? Well, well, that's if Green is fit. If, if Green is, I, from what I'm hearing, that it, it seems like he might not be fit. Uh, and they don't want to take a chance. Again, it goes back to that debate. Why did Cam Green come out and bat in that pointless test match in the same? When I say pointless, in the, given the situation, Australia was so far ahead. Um, well, yeah, well, Pete Lawler was talk, wrote, writing about this, that you know, he, he's looking back that on that now as being foolish, that it was a fracture and then it was actually at the end of his batting and he's sort of clean broken. So... They, the, the, the specialists say it doesn't take any longer to heal, but I think that's hogs. I mean, I, surely if you break it more, it's going to take longer to heal. So you're right. Maybe you shouldn't well, have added. Wait a minute. Yeah, you just, the specialists say it's not a problem and you just overridden the specialists. No, the Australian specialists. Like, haven't got an independent. Like, I need to go to an. Like, of course, Australia is not going to tell you, oh, he messed it up um, because they don't want to kill the kid's confidence. But I need to go to an independent bone doctor. And I'm actually sure with our large audience, yeah. there would be a doctor. So, can Any you tell? Can you, please write in. Should Cam Green have batted on or not? Um, thank you. <laughs> So, okay, so Warner's um, so Warner on on the chopping block. Smith, Labuschagne are okay, but then we could see Head either come in for Warner, or you could see Green come in. Uh, what about Kuhneman then? I mean, if they want to play a left arm spinner, and and Delhi's going to turn, do they do they drop a batter and move Carey up, or or does maybe Cummins get dropped and they play Stark, Green, and the three spinners? I don't think bowling's much of an issue. I mean, yes, India did score 400, but it, India was at you know five down for a, pretty much around 200. So I don't. You got to be able to score runs. If you score runs, if it's not about if, even if Australia scored 250 on that track and they should have, I think India go a little bit under pressure uh, because 250 runs, 177 is not going to be enough. I, I look if the pitch is going to turn, I, I I still have the belief that four bowlers are good enough on a rank turner. Um, and this by no means was a rank turner in Nagpur. Um, I think you've got to just have more protection with your batting. You you can't over-attack. I think you've got to have carry at seven, have the six. One of them can bowl. Absolutely. I mean, the, to, to bring carry up to six is just insane. I mean, as Gab said, we've got to get the runs, and part of the runs is the lower order. You know, it's not as though we've got someone who's going – if we have Glenn McGrath – um, yeah, bring him in because he's such a wonderful bowler. But other than that, unless you can bat, then I don't think that there's a, um, a spot to be um, justified for you being in there. Um, I would often, I've said it before, I'd go the other way. I'd be, I'd be happy to um, bring in an extra batter and have Kerry or someone batting at number eight because I don't know that we need as, as many bowlers as we had. You know, especially if, if, if Green happens to be in there and, and does play, then um, why bring in a fast bowler who's going to bowl 10 overs, None for thirty. They were bringing a um, bring in someone who can actually bat. So, so you could bring in Head for Warner, and then you could, in the middle order, uh, say bring in Green for Renshaw. That takes out some of the left-handers. Now, if you oh. if you bring bring Green in for Renshaw, then you can drop Cummins. You can pick Stark. So you've got Stark and Green with the new ball. Then you've got Kuhneman coming in for Cummins. So you've got Kuhneman, um, Lyon, and Murphy. I think that is a very balanced team. I think they should yeah. drop Lyon. 
Um, wow. And Before. I don't think that, uh, well, let's just talk about Lyon for a second. Um, I, I know it sounds like a ridiculous thing to say because he's got all these wickets and he's been a very fine bowler. And look, I, I'd love Menas for in a week's time you to be preparing a TikTok click a TikTok clip with me, hello, saying this exact thing. They should drop Lyon after Lyon has taken 15 wickets and won us the second test match. I welcome that. But his overall record uh, in India, he averages 33. By comparison, I know they're two great bowlers. Ashwin, 21. Jadeja, 20. Did either of you, when Nathan Lyon was given the ball in the first test, think, ah, now India's in trouble. He's going to rip through them. It happens. He bowled well in the first um, in the first half of the 2017 tour. He's by no means a bad bowler, but I, you know, I just you can't bat very well. Um, I, I just think that there are others that would um, be better. At least Agar can bat. I mean, have Agar. That that's ridiculous. Well, Agar. Well, well, the, well, the problem. I mean, it's easy to say let's drop this bowler, let's drop that bowler, but I don't. Like I mentioned, I don't think Australia bowled that badly. It, it, it's just the fact that they didn't score enough runs. They scored 250, and the, the runs pressure, uh, the scoreboard pressure, will, will, will be put on India. Um, you know, someone like a Jack Leach bowled really well in India, and we saw what happened to him out, out in Australia. So I, you can't drop Nathan Lyon. I think he's just a heart and soul. And I think, look, there could have been a little bit of fraction to this team already with dropping of Trevor's head. That's the whispers coming out of India. You drop Nathan Lyon... Last thing you want is probably another scenario of 2013 for homework gate or something, and there's a massive fraction. Uh, that's I'll solve, that's it. It. I'll solve it for you. You drop Lion and bring in Head. Head's a better spinner in Indian conditions than Lion is. Uh, well, I, I tend to disagree, but that, that, that's, I mean, uh, you know, Head hasn't even bowled in India. He bowled an absolute rank turner in, in Sri Lanka. So, uh, and I, I mean, look, let's, that let's, let's well. That's the other bonus. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, probably doesn't have as good sweep shot as Nathan Lyon does. <laughs> now, Paul's good, Paul's good. Paul, Paul wants, I, I want Cummins out of the side. Paul wants Lyon out of the side. Yeah, I, I'm um, loving this. And, and, and I just want the same team to play for Australia. <laughs> yeah, Gav's like, yeah, don't change anything. Uh, he, you're, you're just hedging your bets because you're going over there. Um, <laughs> all right. So, but, 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 Paul, if you were to take Lyon out, and replace him with another bowler, who would it be? Um, well, I've told you my side, and you think it's crazy, but I, I would have... Uh, firstly, let's assume that the pitch is the same as... same looks the same as Nagpur, and I, it, it may not, uh, but let's just assume for the sake of argument we're going to get a similar pitch to that. If that's the case, I don't see the need to bring any fast bowlers into the side other than Green if he was fit. So why have... Um, maybe one, maybe Stark, but I'm... Yeah. I'm happy to have Cummins sit on the sideline, not dropped, just rotated out for, yeah. for horses for courses. Have, Ousted uh, as captain. No, that, you know, that doesn't have to be a big headline. Um, yeah, make him captain as 12th man, I don't care. Um, there's no but, difference. I, I thought Cummins started the ball really well after those first couple of spells. I think his first spell was horrible. And, you know, when you change – and I think that's a bit of rustiness. And, again, that goes back to preparation, doesn't it, Paul, where you just feel like if he had a bit of preparation or a bit – had bowled in a practice match or into squad match for other, uh, that could have been a little bit different. But, you know, I think Rochama hit three boundaries and not for 13. It suddenly feels different. Um, he bowled, I thought he bowled pretty well with the second new ball, um, even yeah, throughout yeah. the innings. But I, and, and I, I just, while Boland was good, Boland's not going to run through India on those pitch. 
Stark can. Stark might go for a few runs, but Stark, if it reverses, could roll through. When I say roll through, it might not get six or seven, but we've seen Stark get you know, two or three very quick uh, wickets. And I think, again, Stark adds a little bit to the batting. Mind you, he's another left-hander. Ashwin is probably already ticked off in his... Um, in his planning. <laughs> yeah, I think right. I, I thought Cummins, with the exception of those those first three overs, bowled perfectly acceptably. Uh, he's an absolutely great bowler. I just think if the situation were reversed, imagine if we we're talking about um, if you always played three spinners and a quick and now we're going to Perth and we're saying, oh, we'll go to just two spinners and a quick. No, you wouldn't. You'd go to no spinners. Like, we, mm. we, we need to think a bit more um, in yeah. tune. And, and that's why I think if Green's fit, it really gives you that option. Green yeah. and Stark and three spinners. All right. But we, we, we're we not selecting the teams, unfortunately, so let's move on. Uh, there was some press, Paul, that you put in the notes here. Uh, well, the, the most notable one was Alan Border criticising Steve Smith for giving uh, one of the bowlers a thumbs up after he was beaten. There was a few more things. Uh, just run us through it. Tell me how you feel about it. Um, that's not my. That's not what I want to go for a long run about. Um, I, I, my, my feeling about that is they've got to. I mean, I, ne- I never want to criticise Alan Border because I love him. He's an absolute legend. But I just think I don't think Smith's necessarily. It, I don't even think he was aware he was doing it. He just does it as a sort of a, a an instinctive yeah. thing. I like the way this Australian side's play, playing. I like the fact that they're playing with grace, that they're not carrying on like idiots, and I don't think it in any way impacts the the hard nosed nature of the way that they're playing cricket. I think they gave absolutely everything. I cannot fault their effort with the way that they played in the first test. They just got annihilated. I don't even think the pitch was that bad. I think it was a really good pitch for all the controversy yeah. before. I thought it was an excellent pitch. Um, yeah. We just got blown away by a team that on in those three days was in a different parish in terms of how good we were. So, yeah, I think AB's talking from a, from a different era in that. But as I said, I'm not criticising him because he's a legend. <laughs> Yeah, I look, I think it was a bit rich to criticise Smith because he's like our most competitive player who would, you know, bat for days to save a test match. Just on the pitch, something that's come out after the first test that we maybe didn't talk about leading in was with the rolling of the pitch. Now, it, it's come out that the rolling of the pitch is actually not to keep the rough on the left-handers area because that was fine. It's actually to flatten out the middle of the pitch so the Australian quicks don't get a lot of life there. That's what Boland said. A couple of other people have said it. And apparently it's happened before to other teams. Have you heard of that, Gav? Yeah, uh, look, it's it just, I mean, the Indian curators are quite smart. They, they know how to negate the opposition, if you can say that. I mean, I'll go back to that 1998, and I think I discussed it in one of our programs last week, that um, uh, in, in Chennai, which Shane Warne was going to probably bowl out of the rough, um, you know, they, they, they made sure that they rolled the pitch so much on, uh, out there that not much rough can be created. And, you know, we saw what Tendulkar did to Warren in that series. So I'm not sort of, you know, is a genius and he would have probably did, did to Warren even if there was rough and there was a bit of rough. But I'm just saying that they just know how to, um, they know, you know, how to make the pitch in a, in a perfect manner, which is within the laws. And I don't think there's nothing wrong with it. And I, like Paul said, Australia was beaten because their batters just don't have the defensive capabilities on how to play spin. You look at the way Aksha Patel, Rohit Sharma, Jadeja, even Ashwin, a lot of Indian players played the ball on the front foot, right? While the Australians predominantly wanted to play off the back foot, it's like, oh, they've come to panic. You've got to play spin in India off the back foot. No, you've got to be able to play front or back. 
I think they just went into these preconceived ideas and Andrew McDonald and Pat Cummins talked about it, where slightly we've come with, you know, too many plans <laughs> and you've got to be able to adjust. I think the technical defensive game is just not there. Alex Kerry is a perfect example. He did well, right? But that's okay to have one guy like that. You can't have others. We saw David Warner, two of 30 goals. He starts to attack. But as Paul said, every time he defends, you feel like, you know, he's just going to get out. That's why we need more, yeah, more aggression, I think. Um, I won't get so, into so that. So, Gav, any, um, any thoughts that the Indians will change their side for the next test match? Or I know Delhi, another slow, low wicket. They ha- Australia, sorry, India haven't lost there since the mid-80s when I think they lost to Viv Richards, West Indies. Yeah. 1987, I think. So it's, you know, it's Fortress Delhi as far as India is concerned. I mean, will they go in, do you think, with the same side or will Kuldeep Yadav maybe come in? Oh, you don't think they'll make any changes. It just depends on the pitch, of course. Uh, It's a lot smaller ground. Um, It's black soil up in North India, so you probably won't even have that much more. You probably have less bounce. Um, And generally, Delhi gets slower and slower. Um, so actually batting might get, you know, it's not on the fourth innings, you might not roll through the opposition or if the ball turns, it turns slowly that you can adjust. Um, so I think that's a general tendency of the wickets up in North India. Uh, it has been a bit of a cool Indian summer, if I can call it. Um, and so generally Delhi can be a good, decent pitch to bat on. And I think whoever wins, Todd's got to get 300, 350. I can't see India making any changes, especially given the test matches in, finished in three days. Unless they want to rest someone like a Mohammed Shami and bring in Umesh Yadav, that could happen if it's a very skiddy pitch, but I don't think so. I think given the test match finished in three days, India will uh, stick with the same team. And, 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 you know, Australia definitely have some scars, so I don't think Kuldeep Yadav will be used as yet. Okay. I'd drop Siraj and bring in Shubman Gill. Um, to my to my point from before, why have the two fast bowlers? He's a f- fine bowler, but if the pitch is going to be that way, you just don't need him. But anyway, um, hey, can I get onto my uh, rant now, Menas? Yeah, go for it. All right, I just wanted to read out something that um, has alternatively delighted and then appalled me. Um, Dan Bredick, writing in the City Morning Herald, has written an excellent article, and he's talking about. Um, how well Murphy bowled. And he said, alongside his mentor, Craig Howard, Murphy has practised assiduously with different seam angles, arm paths and positions on the crease. Vital to Murphy's education was a spin bowling focus at the National Cricket Centre in Brisbane, plus the budget to send young spinners to the MRF Foundation in India. These included spin pitches at the centre created with imported soil from India. These programs, led by the former NCC coach Troy Cooley, was stripped away during COVID-19 by a Cricket Australia executive then intent on swinging cuts. And he's gone on to conclude, as disquieting as the sight of Australia losing all 10 wickets in a single session in India may, may have been, it is equally troubling to realise that the building blocks that helped Murphy alone to look properly equipped for India no longer exist. Now, what the hell is going on? This has been my dream ever since Matthew Hayden um, manufactured a brilliant 2001 tour of India by practising for three weeks in a, um, a Brisbane pitch that had been scuffed up. I've been saying we should practise and prepare years in advance for Indian conditions. And it seems that they've been doing it. That's amazing. I didn't, had no knowledge of this. How good is that? And they've actually decided to take it seriously in the same way that we've had... The Duke's ball and the Sheffield Shield. We have players playing county cricket. We take the Ashes so seriously. We win the Ashes all the time. You look back over the history, I know that it's roughly 38 all, but the number of test matches, we dominate England. 
we are not going to win any matches in India anytime soon unless we make it an absolute focus. So to have had something that is now working, to have been discontinued, I understand pause it during COVID, yeah, the world went crazy, but now open the floodgates. Like every Australian at age 10 should be sent on national service to India for one year to see if they can bowl spin. Like we should be absolutely doing this more. Should, should so, it be part of like primary school education? Like just absolutely like, should be. You know, sixth class, <laughs> we just send you over to India, get yes. check out your, your 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 chops on subcontinental conditions, and then you know we almost breed like a separate team just for tours of India. Exactly, it should be okay. Like this ten-year-old, we've just noticed in the way that you're walking, you look like you've got something mm. about you. Mm. Okay, in you go experimentation, working Ooh, it all out. Very wristy, doesn't play with his pad. Yep, get him ready. Yeah. You're on the boat. Sorry, mum and dad. He's doing his high school in India. That's the way it goes. Well, look, Paul, there is more of that happening. So out at Cricket Central in um, Silverwater in New South Wales, they've actually, you know, got different squares. So there's, go- there's going to be a turning, a set of pitches. I think they're getting some soil from over the other side of the country for quickie ba- quicker bounce your wicket. So, um, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. You can have a get a you can you can tailor made any pitch, but you can't make you can't put you know tailor made an Ashwin and a Jadeja in front of you. That's the big difference. Uh, no, yes, you you get them from the young young enough age. Speaking of those two, as soon as they retire, we should poach them over here to be um, bold net forwards <laughs> and coaches for us. Pay them a few million and get them out of here. Yeah, oh. the one thing is it is it's very hard. The problem is spin bowlers get so little and, 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 in yeah. Australia, and, and well, you know, not not just that. There are technical deficiencies there, and and just some people are just not. You, you look at the wrist position of a Jadeja. Speaking to the experts, speaking to a lot of coaches in it. What Jadeja, the way he can flick his wrist, and Ashwin can flick his wrist. If you look at Ashwin, he's not your conventional spinner. He can stop, pause, and then deliver the ball. Nathan Lyon can't do that. So Murphy probably can't do that. So these are technical things which are different. That, that's why every bowler is different. Uh, so it's it's too hard for them uh, to be able to change that. But I get what Paul is coming from. But you, for that, you need a lot of practice. You know, Matthew Hayden, you talk about this, Paul. That we only talk about the three weeks. Matthew Hayden, Andrew Simons, like, and so forth, went and played like club cricket in Chennai, like in the 90s. You know, that that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen now. It, it, it's just a bit, nobody's going to have time to go out there and. Before they get into the Australian well, side. Well, no, so me and Menace were just talking about this on commentary the other day. If, if you look at New Zealand cricket, and, and Devin Conway is a good example of it, New Zealand cricket state contracts are seven months. They let a player decide what he wants to do for five months. He can go and play county cricket. He can go try and get a deal in India. He can go play Pakistan. He can play a T20 series or he can sit at home. A lot of players in the state systems here start pre-season training in the middle of sort of June, July, August. Now, we know how cold it is in Sydney or Tasmania. or and So what are they doing part of pre-season training? I mean, why are they... They, they should be in England or India well, or somewhere well, else. I, I, well, yeah, but because they're state contracts, they're a little bit monocled in the in a way that, oh, this is, you know, we're going to build you up towards the big bash or the shield season. And the players don't have a choice. Here, it, the, the it, New Zealand cricket, I like it because they're like, it's up to the player. So if you don't want to improve, if you want to just sit back at home and lay on the couch and watch the footy, that's fine. But if you want to improve your game, you take up the initiative and we're happy to help you take up the initiative. I think there's a big difference in that. And sometimes I feel our state contracts and 
derived in that way that it's a 12-month contract. Hello, yes, April, um, uh, April and May take a break from June. Preseason training starts. How like could you? So, you know, how, so, how can you prepare, prepare so for between, India or England in, in sitting in, in Sydney? So between Paul and Gav, we've solved cricket. So there's about 120 yes. state cricketers who are going <laughs> to be really upset. Gav has equated Sydney and Tasmanian weather. Sydney in June is quite pleasant, <laughs> I should <laughs> That's your big takeaway. Uh, I want to go <laughs> to, the, to, to the Women's um, Premier League, but um, some good stuff there. And I, I do think Australian players need to play overseas more. Um, but um, just th- they've moved the third test. Now, Gav, you gave us a great r- rundown about Dharamazala, but that's now void. Uh, so they've switched to indoor, which is um, a venue where Ravi Ashwin averages about 12 and a half per wicket. Uh, apparently indoor is a tiny ground. Uh, what else can you tell us about, Gav? Well, uh... well, while Gav's um, just on hold there for a second. Um... Sorry, can you hear me? Yes, I, I, just, I just I just heard this beep. Sorry, continue. Paul speaking. I'll, let, I'll listen to him and then I'll answer. Okay. I, be, I, I only heard half the question. Sorry. I was just going to say, there's a lot of criticism of India for moving the venue. Now, obviously, if the ground's not fit for purpose, then you have to move the venue. But you've got to ask the question: How does a board as rich as that um, wait till almost the eve of the Test match to make that change? I feel very, very sorry for people who have booked flights and accommodation and um, have planned to to go there to suddenly just switch it at the last minute to a different venue um, seems pretty poor. Uh, I'm not saying that they've switched it because they're afraid of the Australians um, doing so well there. But again, there is validity in criticising that decision. And I don't understand people who are saying, oh, you can't criticise them at all. Yes, if it had to be moved, it had to be moved, but it's pretty poor. I think Gideon Hay said the Indian sports minister is from that state. And he, I don't know if that's a coincidence. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, Gav, what, what, what can you tell us about indoor? Look, uh, the, the best part about indoor is it's in right bank in centre of the indoor city. So I think we're going to go to a great crowd for that. I think it, it's about a, maybe a 30,000 um, spectators. I think we're, it's right in the middle of indoor. I think we're going to get a great crowd. That's the first thing. Generally, the indoor pitches are quite good. It's a, quite a small ground, tends to favour batting. Uh, it, it tends to have a bit of red soil as well, so you get nice bounce as well. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good cricketing wicket. Um, and I think I think that's the most test match I'm looking forward to the most because I think, you know, you probably see the real Indian crowd there, you know, sitting on top of you. Uh, and I think it's going to be a really good pitch as well. So uh, in terms of test match move, look, the, the justification has been... Yes, and I, to an extent, I agree with it. Look, it has been a very cold winter. They've relayed the outfield, and they probably feel there hasn't been enough sun on it. So, look, I don't like to. I like to praise curators and ground staff all the time. I don't think we give them credit. If that is the real reason that it hasn't come up, then fair enough. But you wonder why they've had to wait so till the last minute. Yeah, I'm sure Ashwin's like, yeah, you know. Yeah, and, 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 well, and the other factor of it is, is that, uh, you know, a lot of people would have planned around that test match in India because it's a lovely holiday destination. They would have gone up there into mountains, maybe watched one day of the test match um, and then gone around. So I think that's probably a little bit annoying for those who booked their tickets well in advance, not just for the test match, but going up to the mountains in the, you know, foothills of the Himalayas. The BCCI should refund. Like if someone is out of pocket... They should give them some, uh, you know, there's not that many people who would have done it. We're only talking about a few thousand. 
the BCCI as a gesture of goodwill to, especially for the, the domestic Indian fans, because the, you know, the crowds at Nagpur weren't very good. They're okay. But in a nation of 1.4 billion cricket lovers, you would be expecting bigger crowds than that. I know, you know, the grounds aren't, aren't inside the city and there are lots And it's just not that poor. There's variety, like I said, you know, a lot of uh, passes are given out uh, for, you know, <laughs> clubs and the clubs have to redistribute them. They're not open to public, you know, and going, sitting inside an Indian cricket ground is, is not as comfortable as what it is in an Australian ground. It's hot, it's sweaty, you don't get all the... You know, in a way, to sometimes for the the female spectators, the toilets aren't that clean. And, and uh, I think over time that they've done a remarkable job. Some of the new stadiums are fantastic, but these are little constraints that yeah. that are there. And even getting to that ground, I think Nagpur is probably you know I've probably been to about twenty Indian Test venues, probably the most difficult ground to get to, uh, just in terms of traffic and, and and management and you know three layers of security and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Yeah. They're anyway, problem. it's all coming up. Trumps for India. They, they win the first test comfortably. They're shaping up well for Delhi. They've got a, a venue of choice for the third test. So, I mean, there's a really good chance that these two sides will meet each other in the World Test Championship final in far less friendly conditions for India there. So and that could be a, a monster contest. Um, but I think Australia is going to make big changes and it's going to hinge on Cameron Green's fitness um, so, we'll, you know, we'll look uh, closely at the Australian side as we approach the first ball on Friday. Um, but let, let's move on because there's two two things I want to talk about. Uh, the Women's Premier League auction uh, was last night and the uh, Indian Express is reporting that Shmriti Mandana was the highest uh, uh, paid um, player in the auction going at 3.4 crore, which is about 600,000 Aussie dollars. Um, and that's an amount higher um, than that was paid by IPL franchises for men's cricketers like Ajinki Rahane, Shakib Alassan, Adil Rashid, and Australia's Adam Zampa. Uh, also, Shafali Verma. Um, went for two crore, 370k Aussie. Um, Jamima Rodriguez, 400k Aussie. Um, Risha Gosh, 350k Aussie. And then we haven't got into the Australians yet, but uh, I mean, you can see the shift is happening in India. And, and that was just incredible viewing last night, Paul. Uh, I'm glad none of, none of the players are getting uh, as much money as Menas are for this podcast, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was incredible. I expected it would be kind of seismic, yet it still surprised me when I was watching it. I was thinking, this is this feels like a very important moment in, in kind of in world sport. And to to see um, Ash Gardner um, $560,000 for a tournament that only lasts for three weeks, like that's um, it's a $10 million salary um, annualised. Um, uh, it's wonderful. And Cricket Australia deserve credit for kicking the ball off about five or six years ago when they really significantly wa- uh, raised the wages of the WBBL players. And this is now taking it to another level. It emphasises, I'd say, with the exception of tennis and to an extent um, golf, how stupid uh, all major sports have been decade after decade after decade of marginalising the women's game. Because can you imagine how less of a sport tennis would be now if they had treated their women the way that cricket has treated its women throughout the years. Um, you know, the um, 
part of tennis's great appeal is that the the women are every bit as uh, followed and exciting as the as the as the men. Finally, cricket is realizing that there's this tremendous opportunity. Apart from it also being the right thing to do, um, so I, I think it's just a great moment for the sport. Uh, it's quite exhilarating um, watching it. I did read a bit of chatter from people who've also made this same criticism of the men's auction that it's not great for. You know, it's not the greatest look for players' mental health that you're just being auctioned off like that. It just is so heartbreaking for those um, who, who don't get picked up. And the fact that they the auctioneer just still says it so pleasantly, um, the player remains unsold. And, you know, almost a little smile. <laughs> um, you know, the players like in their family, like, this is horrendous. And they're, one point that, you know, as the player remained unsold, they were showing, I think it was, um, I'm not sure which franchise it was, but they're all getting their cups of tea and their, their nibblies and it's like, they were they clearly weren't going to make a bid so you know that's so, as, an, as an aside but um yeah wonderful night the the one thing i i, I mean you just see how advanced i remember watching the first ipo auction and people were just going after names you know it's just this player and that player and now how much t20 cricket has evolved and you know the franchise is knowing exactly who they want the type of player there's numbers there's data just how far it's come. I just remember watching the first IPO on auction on TV. I think I might have been in India. Compared to this one, how properly structured it is in terms of franchise. Yeah, tactical it is. I, I think that's huge. But um, good on, looking forward to, uh, you know, we might get more interest in that um, if Australia go 3-0 three, three down. The yeah. Um, that, um, the, there did seem to be a, a feeling to an extent that... Um, if you weren't an Australian, then or an Indian, then that those are the two countries that everyone wanted. That mm-hmm. the English players and certainly the South Africans and the New Zealanders, there, there was wasn't quite the um, the interest there, which I suppose um, kind of makes sense. Um, but yeah, I thought you know a couple of them. I think Elisa Healy is possibly the bargain of the night. I think you know if I was assembling a franchise side, she'd be one of the very first people um, that I'd pick. And the fact that. She, um, only in inverted commas went for 122,000 Australian. Um, I think that the UP Warriors have got a great deal there. Yeah, so Ash Gardner was the highest paid Australian at 550k, which uh, I'm surprised she was so much more than the next Beth Mooney, which is 350k Aussie. I, I, I just, I'm surprised. Ash Gardner was like so far ahead of the rest of the Aussies. Elise Perry just under 300k. Talia McGrath 245k. Like I sort of thought they'd all be around the same. And I'd put Meg Lanning and Alyssa Healy into that. Um, so, you know, I, I think Ash Gardner taking five wickets in the T20 World Cup certainly helped. You know, people say, oh, it's not about that. I know that's not about that, but. If you can time your performances right for these auctions, sometimes you can just ignite a big bidding war because you're not. T- I don't think she's worth, you know, double Talia McGrath, for example. No, but I think Talia McGrath also was under the odds. I think she was worth more. I think with Gardner, they just like the fact that in a, uh, you know, there are so many spin bowlers in uh, women's cricket that if you can get someone who bowls, you know. The level of spin to take five for in a World Cup, but can also belt the ball. The, the WBBL game that I was at at North Sydney a, a month or two back, when she smacked, I can remember seventy off hardly any balls. That's what you're getting. You're getting elite level at both sets of skills, and I think that's possibly why she went for so much. 
Yeah, so Meg Lanning went for 193k Aussie. Uh, two, a couple of players to watch. So Grace Harris, she went for 131k, and she's gone to the UP Warriors. She is in the Aussie side at the moment. She's a power hitter. She loves taking on spin bowling. She's a very good bowler herself. I think she's a bit of a bargain, and I think she'll be thrilling to watch. Uh, Laura Harris, another one. Um, she's playing for the Delhi Capitals. She went for 78.4k. She's a an out-and-out slogger, and you don't see many of them in women's cricket. She's got a massive power game. Erin uh, Burns, a Sydney Sixers player, went for 52K. Um, but I think possibly the, the two bargains, Megan shoots 70K to RCB. I, mm. I'm very surprised about that. I mean, she is one of the leading T20 bowlers, so I'm surprised she wasn't in more demand. And you mentioned it, Lisa Healy, 122K to the UP Warriors. That's a bargain. I, I mean, so... Yeah, surprising results, I guess. Um, yeah, I thought that um, Megan shoot. I mean, she was she was passed over in the first round, wasn't she? Um, yeah, and yeah. I felt really heartbroken for her. So it's it's good, you know, it would have been nice for her to get more, but it's good that she's at least going to be there and has an opportunity to um, to perform. It's the sort of thing that um, uh, if you you look at someone like I don't know Greg Blewett, whose career just finished before all the this sort of thing occurred. You look at some of the players who are coming towards the end of their careers. They must be like, oh, God, you know, why was I born five years later? <laughs> well, I was looking at Rachel Haynes, who was actually over there coaching one of the sides. I mean, you know, three or four years ago, she'd have been one of the in-demand players there. Uh, I just – I just, but I want to move on to the T20 World Cup, but I've got – you know, I've been thinking a lot about this and, you know, looking at that auction last night, was Cricket Australia's vision – of women's cricket big enough. We credit them a lot, but actually why is it now that India are just going to walk in and have the most valuable league in the world and we've had a league for almost 10 years and all of a sudden it's not just been usurped, it's been dwarfed. Have we squandered it? Was our vision too narrow? Should we have been looking at private ownership two years ago to go, we want to have the Premier League and um, why didn't we stake a claim? But who would the private owners be? They would be all from India. So anyway, or it's from the subcontinent, just what's happened in South Africa and the T20 leagues. So look, at the end of the day, you know where the market is, you know where the sponsors are, you know where the eyeballs are. That's just reality. Um, it, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, if, even if you can cater to one percent of India, that's that's you know five times as much as Australian population, if not more. Uh, that's the reality. But and you can get sponsors and and and, and so forth. And three weeks, and you've got, you know, at the end of the day, you've got people watching it um, and, and giving it a go. If you want to trial a business, and I always say it, it's India or China, probably two places you want to because it's got the maximum population, maybe US. Australia is so limited. Um, so, I, I mean, I still feel like Australian cricket is so well in advance of any other cricketing board in women's cricket. And I think it's still, even if invent of the WIPL, it's still going to catch, uh, take India maybe, maybe still five or six years possibly to, to basically catch up to Australia because the foundation work started good 20, 25 years ago. It's a good question, Manners. I, I suppose the issue is that if they had said, right, we're going to go even bigger, it would have been a lost leader, I suppose. And as Gav, as Gav said, that um, it is hard to compete with, um, you know, the Indian population. It's like 55 times Australia's population. Cricket is a bigger sport there than it is here. So, um, you know, I, I hadn't thought of that, Menace. It's a good point. Um, maybe they could have gone um, a bit harder, but 
I still think that once India really got their act together and, and did this, it was always going to be very, very difficult. M- maybe the only thing would have been to try to pay the Indian players even more to to, to come out here and sort of capture them. And um, But I think in a, in a bidding war against India, um, you're either going to lose yeah. or you're going to go broke trying. And, and, and you raise a good point. And, I'll, and there are, you know, uh, we haven't seen an Indian player come and play in the big bash. And I just, my worry is once the WIPL starts, hopefully there's no clauses um, for any of the Indian players to come and play in the WBBL because that's the last thing at the end of the day. The BCCL will want their product to, to be the most pure and the most, you know, the one which is number one. Um, and if they feel that the Indian players are going to the WBBL and that sort of, you know, uh, affects the WIPL in terms of where it ranks, then they would need the, you know, I think of no NOC and no objection certification or whatever. So that's going to be interesting to see what happens when the WBBL rolls around next year. Given the and plus the fact that you know even women's cricket for that matter is there's so many tight schedules now it's hard for the players to go and play all around the world, um, so I, I, it's just something to sort of look out for going forward in three or four months or five months time. It's a great point, yeah. Um, yeah. and I think do we have the that's where you need the best administrators in the world running Cricket Australia that you need someone who can build those bridges with India to yes. sort of proactively say, hey, don't do that. Um, let's work together in a partnership. Let's also ensure that the next time Australia's men's team is going to the, the test tour of India, that it's, they're not going in February, March. They're going in a, a better time. All those difficult things, it's very hard when, you know, 85% or 90% of the money is generated uh, in world cricket from India. Um, but you've got to try. And I don't know if we have got the... I, I think our administrators are good, but I wonder if there's a level above them that could really um, sort of... Um, uh, make these sorts of negotiations more successful. Anyway, Women's Premier League, massive tick, huge auction money. Congratulations to all the players. Um, a lot of those um, Australian players that receive big payouts have been on this podcast, so congratulations to them. Um, now, uh, just moving on to the the Women's T20 World Cup going on in South Africa. Now, it moved so quickly. Um, and, you know, by the time you listen to this, there would have been a lot of games. But as we record this, which is Tuesday night Australian side, uh, probably the surprise package, Sri Lanka, have won their first two games in Australia's group. So they've got off to a good start, probably an unfancied team. Um, South Africa, massive loss in their first game to Sri Lanka, but they bounced back with a big win over New Zealand, who are probably another side struggling. They've lost their opening two games. Uh, and then in Group 2, uh, England have won their first two games. Uh, but India looked great beating Pakistan in a, in a massive clash. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot to play for, but England and Australia look the form sides to me. Um, Paul, what have you thought of it so far? I've just been impressed with, um, uh, obviously, the Australian trouncing of, of New Zealand. And um, it's like the one thing that you could have said about the Australian T20 side six or nine months ago is, wow, maybe Elise Perry's time at that in that side is coming to an end. And the, her reinvention and the, the, the power play that she's... Uh, the, the power stroke play that she's been displaying of late, it's just, like, it's unbelievable. Um, the, the Australian team... You know, they, they, they look stronger than they've ever been. Um, so, um, you know, you can always lose a semi or lose a final, but they're, they're looking pretty good. 
Oh, the big surprise, I didn't mention this with the auction, but Alana King didn't get picked up, which I was very surprised about the leggy. I thought she'd get uh, picked up. And, yeah, yeah, she's one that's added to the Australian side. Um, I think the, the fact there's only five teams makes a difference as well. Mm. There's still 400 players in the auction. I just think that India, they, they crave fast bowlers from Australia. To an extent, they look at the spinners and think, well, if we're going to pick a spinner we might as well get a spinner from India because we're the best at it. I think there's a, that sort of mm. that level of overarching feeling that, that, that occurs that probably counted against her, I think. Did, Gav, Stella, I feel Campbell, like... did Stella Campbell get picked, Minnes? No, was she didn't. No, no she I don't think she was. And quite a few players didn't even got passed over, at least Fulani, Phoebe Litchfield. Just, Gav, you know, India, you know, they beat Pakistan in the opener of the T20 World Cup in their opener. Um, you know, I just sort of think it's nicely timed. You, you, if the Indian women's team can have a nice little run in this T20 World Cup, it'll just warm up the Indian fans uh, for the, yeah. the the Women's Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. I always say, like, timing is so important. Uh, you recall in India played England in that 50 over uh, World Cup in 2017. Uh, I think it was in the month of June or July. And that it was at that time leading into that sort of World Cup or just sort of that last two weeks, the Indian men's team wasn't playing any matches. So that created all these eyeballs on the Indian women cricketers and they got to the final. Um, so I'm not sure exactly the date of the World Cup final is, but uh, if it is when the Australian Test Series is not on, I think that will help India, uh, will benefit Indian women's cricket huge because I think everyone will be tuned in. Or why the fact that... Why would they be tuning in to watch a game that India's not involved in? <laughs> yeah, or, or, or why wouldn't they be? I mean, the fact that, you know, why would they want to watch Test cricket when it's 3 nil to India or something like that anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> Good comeback. Oh, slammed. Um, all right, so that's the, the, the T20 World Cup in South Africa. Um, we're, we're going to be covering that, over, especially over the next couple of weeks. Uh, when we're doing our test wraps, we'll be talking about the pointy end of the tournament. Can't wait. It's a bit of an awkward time for Australian fans. You sort of have to watch them on delay unless you you know don't sleep, and I need my sleep. Um, all right, so that's all the big news. Now let's move on to Can't Let It Go. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. All right, so let's get into Can't Let It Go, that little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper. Um, uh, so, Paul, you're desperate to jump in there. What's your Can't Let It Go? Well, mine, I've already used it, so um, but I have come up with another one, um, and that is... It always amuses me whenever the IPL auction is on, um, and now with the, the women's one as well, that Australian cricketers and cricket fans, I am sure, so many of them, especially the, especially some of the men who've made a lot of money in the IPL in the past, if you said to them, what's the currency of India? They'd say the lakh. Um, the, the lakh is the currency of India. That um, they're, <laughs> they're unaware that it's actually a monetary, uh, that it's actually a unit of a number, a, num- a numerical unit, meaning 100,000. Um and um, 
I find that a bit amusing. It's, I've seen it all on Twitter and stuff as well. The people talk about lakhs as though it's the currency. It's not. It's um, it's a hundred thousand. The currency is rupees, and a crore um, is worth ten million. Good, just because Metis pays us in crores and lakhs, that's how we know it, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gav, do you ever can't let it go? Well, just back to that point that Paul made, not about the currency, about you know what the the article that <laughs> Dan Bredig wrote. One of the um, Chief architects of that, where you mentioned Troy Cooley, was to have a spin consultant, and that was Sridhar Sriram. Now, if you look at the only test we won in India back, back in 2017 in Nagpur. I remember at lunchtime, Stephen O'Keefe coming out, looking at the pitch with Sridhar Sriram, then going to the next, you know, sort of to the adjacent pitch. Sridhar Sriram said, This is the length, you've got to bowl here. Next day, he picks up seven wickets, Australia win the test match. Trinidad Sridham has worked with a lot of the Australian players, you know, during the A tours. Um, he, he's established. And the fact that he was a spin consultant who's part of this regime, and I know he's got Minus and Steve Smith and even <laughs> Adam Zampo, who's not on the test tour, but speak very highly of him. And uh, given that Australia even won the T20 World Cup in, in Dubai, and Adam Zampo was instrumental in that. So this guy's come in, he's providing all the details, he's mapping out uh, all these solutions. You know, he had a lot of say on how they should prepare to, for India in 2017. And here he is, he's gone. You know what I mean? So, and, and there's no consultant there either. I forget if it's not him, but what's gone, what's, I mean, nothing against Michael Dean. Right. Yeah, Pat, Pat, Pat Cummins and McDonald know it all. They don't need anyone helping them. They're, they're and, well, I mean, Michael Divinita is the, the batting coach. Now, I, I'm not Pat having Cummins a Pat Cummins read Harry Potter. He's sweet. He's sweet. As. But that's what I can't let go. You've got to have some expert. If you've got Matthew Hayden there, I don't know. Matthew Hayden's pretty good with this, where he actually <laughs> goes out and speaks, you know, and that's probably one thing JL did do well. Uh, that you'll have the former player in there and talk to the players. But talking doesn't mean they're going to excel either. You know no, what I mean? But, no, no. but but you, you've got to get your hands dirty and get somebody to help out. So I just can't let that go, that they had a spin consultant. He's gone. There's nobody else. Nothing against Michael DiVinetto, who's the batting coach. But I can't recall Michael DiVinetto ever batting in India. Not that that makes a difference, but surely you need some expert to give him some kind of advice. Those of you on YouTube watching would have seen the the, the utter delight on Menna's face as, as Gav made that point. And I'm going to add another can't let it go here, that when you factor in the fact that um, Menas still thinks that Justin Langer should be coach and prime minister, that he's fuming <laughs> and that he has predicted 4-0, I promise you, um, <laughs> listeners, Menas is cheering India on in this series and he's doing a very... <laughs> Very good job, a disingenuous job of like, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> he has got the Indian flag up uh, outside his place. And he's, he's wearing his Virat Kohli shirt when he's watching the games and he is cheering India on, I guarantee it. I just love great cricket, Paul. I just love great <laughs> uh, Okay, Mike can't let it go. I've got two. I actually, um, I'll start off. Um, we've got a message from Alex Hales. Um, he's, he's wishing Owen Morgan a happy retirement. So... Um, Owen Morgan's retired uh, from international cricket, so he's gone. <laughs> and um, and finally, um, you know, our friend, and you're about to go and see him, uh, Gav, Barrett Sunderason. He was on a radio station here 
And he was saying he's getting heckled. People are saying, go home. And he was like, well, you realize I'm not Australian. I'm, I'm actually. <laughs> uh, and now he's like, he, he doesn't know where to go because he cops it over in Australia. He cops it in India. Um, so I just want to say how much I love Barrett and, um, you know, don't let it get to you. I always say embrace the hate. It means, um, you know, that they, they, they're passionate about you. And, uh, you know, go give him a bit of a hug from the Quick and Unfiltered team, Gav, because I, I I don't think he expected this, you know? Yeah, no, they did. Oh, oh, I definitely will. Um, and hopefully you'll have us on to talk about the book when we're over there too. Absolutely. So, Gav, you're heading over now to um, to Delhi and you're launching the book. What's the book called? Uh, it's called The Miracle Makers. It's on uh, India's epic victory down under. And hopefully, you never know, Menes, next time we come back to Australia, Paul, uh, if Australia win the series over there, we might have to write another one for the Australian version when they beat India 3-1. How about that one, Paul? Hey, Menas, did you include... Not Menas, Gav. A bit of self-promotion here. <laughs> did you include in the book the chapter a chapter about how I backed India at $8 to win the Boxing Day test after they lost the... Um, after they bowled out for 36 in the, in the Adelaide test and how I backed them at $16 to win the Gabba test? Um, I hope you, I hope you put, included that in the book. So basically you're saying you're a millionaire. No, I didn't have enough on it. But, um, <laughs> that's the only reason I look back. I, I have fondness about that Gabba Test match, even though I should be crying about it because I want some money on it. Yeah. So, Gav, if you get a copy of Miracle Makers, Paul will sign it for you. Um, <laughs> um, so, so, Gav, look, best of luck over there. Uh, Thank you. Thrilled about the book. Um, you know, I encourage all the listeners to keep an eye out for it. Obviously, as soon as it's released, we'll get you back on the show. Um, maybe Barrett, I'm not sure. Um, but we'll definitely get you back on. And, um, you know, yeah, congrats, good luck. Enjoy the Delhi test. Um, and thanks Thank for coming you. on as always. Uh, Paul, excellent stuff. Um Thanks, we'll guys. Up. Enjoy India, Jeff. Have a great time. Thanks, man. So, and- so for those watching on YouTube, we'll be um, doing daily reports of the uh, second test in Delhi. Some of the match reports will be audio only. So if you haven't, subscribed to Cricket Unfiltered on your favourite podcast feed. Uh, it's been doing really well in India, so thanks to all the support. We've been, you know, right up there in the sport and cricket chart. So uh, thanks for all the support in India. Um, and we'll be doing some live YouTube shows at lunchtime um, you know, if Australia gets bowled out, um, you know, again, on the middle of the third day, then we can do another live show then. Uh, but, yeah, just stay tuned. Um, obviously, the best thing to do is subscribe to our YouTube channel. doesn't cost anything, but when we go live, you get a notification. So, um, yeah, do that. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, rate and review the show. Uh, bye, Paul. Bye, Gav. See ya. Bye, everyone. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. 
With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit.